Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal, or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Hello, one and all. Welcome to Be Real Guys, our movie podcast where we tell you what movies are good, good, bad, bad, good, bad, and bad, good. I'm Chance Solomon Pfeiffer. Who are you? I'm Noah Goddamn Ballard. There it is. How are you, friend? I'm I'm doing fine. Chance, can we discuss something quickly? Mmm, yeah, let's let's get into that. Whatever it is. Before we get into this week's theme, I just need to talk about something that I feel like needs to be addressed because it came to my uh, came to my attention this weekend and I, I can't let it stand. Don't bottle it up. Put it out I there would, and I would never bottle it up. So I was flying uh, from Seattle back to New York and um, I was I was boarding the plane and I had a middle seat. So I was like, this is going to be annoying, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I get to the middle seat and the this is couple behind me and they're like i was like oh are, are you in this row eight and they're like yeah i was like oh well then you two should like sit together and the woman looks at me and goes no 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 he likes the window and i like the <laughs> aisle <laughs> so then this is a five hour and 15 minute flight mind you so for the next five hours and 15 minutes, this couple in their 70s proceeds to scream over me as if I wasn't there. <laughs> you really held on to that age detail. That's not what I was picturing. Well, I feel like it, it's important to understand because like the plane is loud and they can't hear anything because they're old. Right. So, and this is the context in uh, in which I watched one of the movies we're discussing today. Oh, so good! I, I just thought that should be that should be out there. Uh, I feel like the the running theme for me this week, uh, before we get to the what the theme actually is, uh, was the fact that I watched all these movies basically in a really undesirable situation. So, if I'm a little like sharp this week, uh, ladies and gentlemen, forgive me. Because I okay. watched all these movies in some like unpleasant situation, that being one of them. So let's let's get into it. The theme for this week's episode is in light of Trainwreck, the Amy Schumer, Joan Apatow movie that just came out last week. We are reviewing three movies that, on their face, act as would-be springboards from uh, women comedian and actors from television. Onto uh, the big screen. What were the other two? You want to tell them what the other two were? So we did Trainwreck was our modern one, which just came out. And we also did <laughs> Baby I Mama. I like that, that that makes uh, Picture Perfect like pre-modern, which in a way it sort of is. Listen, we'll get into that shit in a second. <laughs> okay. The other one was Baby Mama from what? Like 2011? 2008. 2008. That's basically what I just said. Yeah. 1997's... Picture Perfect with Jennifer Aniston. I think we should start with Trainwreck, right? Hey, and in light of that, do you mind if I go ahead and read our sponsor's ad spot for this episode? 
Uh, please, go forth. Are you looking for a career that will afford you nominal status, but will mostly serve to stand in the way of your personal life at crucial moments? This episode of Be Real Guys is brought to you by Journalism and Movies. It's a big city out there. Just listen to those car horns. And you've got a lot of movie careers to choose from. Why not try one that's flexible, indicative of a certain aloofness, and unchanging with the times? Sure, your boss is a veritable monster whose venomous rapport with you would almost certainly be grounds for dismissal were this real life. But whether you're a movie newspaper reporter or a magazine feature writer, the perks are endless. You'll have eight to ten weeks to knock out a simple profile. In the field of movie journalism, you'll head to your source's office to set up a time for the first interview in person. Does this save time? On the contrary. But you've still got nine and a half weeks to get that story in, and even then, who's counting? And our industry is unaffected by the technological developments of the last 15 years. Are you shopping your story around? Well, freelancing's a dangerous game in our world. But if you're up for it, simply print that sucker off, tote it around the city, and sit in the magazine offices while the publishers read it in front of you. And hey, I'd love to stay longer and tell you more, but there's a text in your pocket from a person listed in your phone only as editor. They'll be wanting that story, the big one, the center page feature fold cover, or whatever. Being a journalist in movies. Now get out there and be somebody's idea of being somebody. Yeah, so that kind of takes us into uh, Trainwreck, where Amy Schumer stars as some sort of magazine writer slash editor slash whatever. At a men's magazine. At a men's magazine. And um, her and uh, some people have some scenes. Uh, Then she has some scenes with Bill Hader. (laughs) And then the movie's over. Oh my gosh! I'm gonna have a. I'll try to fill in some of the blanks there because you. you I know, mean, I, in my opinion, that was the movie. You are just in such rain clouds. Like already, I can tell. Okay. Uh, How did so? Basically, Amy Schumer has to interview the sports doctor played by Bill Hader, who happens to be friends with LeBron James, best who friend. is best friends with LeBron James, who is, in fact, wonderful in this film. Oh, yeah. Um, and so him and Amy Schumer are then like, well, she's got like a whole thing. And Oh, my God. This is all set against the fact that Amy Schumer, whose name is Amy in the movie, um, it goes about sort of giving you her personality in life, which is that she's afraid of uh, monogamy, afraid of entering in any sort of intimate long-term relationship because of a scene explained early on where her father, played by Colin Quinn, uh, is divorcing uh, her mom and her sister's mom, who's played by, uh, the sister is played by Brie Larson, um, but basically saying why monogamy doesn't work. And then so Amy Schumer is sort of introduced through a string of a string of hookups, and uh, Bill Hader is sort of the foil to her lifestyle. Oh my God, he's calling. Why would he call? You guys just had sex. It's probably a mistake. It's, yeah. it's a mistake. He's, he's butt-dialing you. Hello? Oh, hey there, it's, it's Aaron. Oh, uh, this is Amy. I think you butt-dialed me. No, no, I, I, I dialed you with my fingers. What's she saying? What's she saying? Shh. He called me on purpose. 
hang up. He's obviously like sick or something. So he's um, yeah, what's up? I was calling to say I had a really good time last night. I was wondering if you wanted to um, hang out again. Will you say that again, please? I was wondering if I could see you again. You know what? I'm gonna call the police. So I thought the, um, well, the main sort of theme of this movie was, it was analyzing the idea of what it means to commit. And ironically, the uh, no actor involved in this film decided to do that. I don't agree, but okay. go ahead, keep going. You, you feel like everyone in this movie wanted to be there? Like all the actors? I felt, yes. I felt that the performances were really in earnest, and it was the structure of the movie, specifically the direction and the editing, that made it strange it, it was a, it's a very strange movie but anyway you ascribed its strangeness to the actors not wanting to be there who in particular bill Hader doesn't want to be there um, oh, I, don't, I don't think so but go ahead i mean he's good at delivering lines and i think the script like somewhere deep down there is like a well-written script but i just didn't feel like beyond the banter like him and amy had any chemistry whatsoever and I, like, just never really cared about him because he just didn't seem super excited to be playing this role. And I never mm. really understood him, like, going through this whole process because, like, it just seemed like he was either annoyed or sleepy were the two, like, emotions he brought to the stage or brought to the film. I thought he was pretty, like, pretty sturdy from having just come off, like, Skeleton Twins and stuff. He seemed really confident on the did screen Did you actually to me. watch Skeleton Twins? Yeah, about a month ago. Interesting. What did you think of yeah. it? I think I that... I haven't seen it. It's not great, but Hater and Wig are both really good in it. Um, right. I don't know. I just thought Hater, like, I don't know. I just didn't feel like he, he showed up for me. And I felt hmm. like it became mostly about Amy Schumer carrying this movie along with the occasional scene with LeBron, which is incredible and scenes with, with, um, what's the dad's name? Colin Quinn. Colin Quinn. I thought he was great too. He was. But other than that, I don't think, well, this is what, this is one of my big questions with this theme is, is, are these people that are being springboarded, are they household names at this point or do they have like a shit ton to prove? And I think in this movie, Amy Schumer is not a household name and she has a shit ton to prove and it leads her to sort of like grabbing the camera and not letting it like look away from her, even when like it would be better to have other people sort of shine interesting yeah. I, see, I saw i saw this movie totally differently i actually felt that when it floundered and i do think it floundered but i actually mostly put that on apatow because i felt like the well, my resounding my resounding takeaway from the movie if i can say is that it felt to me like all the scenes are very long and it felt like the camera was just set up and someone said like well Riff like riff together, you two, and we'll we'll just see what comes out of that. And then I should say that my the thing that I'm looking for in these movies is how well they translate what people 
like and what these comics are good at on television, how well do they translate it to the big screen? And I feel like Amy Schumer is sort of all about joke writing and persona and sharpness. And when you just set up the camera and you're like, ah, just like riff until we're done, like that doesn't actually play to her strengths at all. And it contributes to what you talked about earlier, which is a fault perpetually of Apatow movies, is that they're always a half an hour too long, even the good ones. Girls, your mother and I are getting divorced. Monogamy isn't realistic. Monogamy isn't realistic. Again. Monogamy isn't realistic. I didn't understand that word at the time, but now I know exactly what he was talking about. Saturday. Well, here's the, and yesterday I texted you, Chance, or a couple days ago, and I said, did you listen to the Terry Gross interview with Judd Apatow? I listened to it this morning on your advice. If you listen to that Terry Gross interview, it doesn't seem as though Judd Apatow has any idea like about the production of this film. Hmm. I yeah, I mean sort of. I think that and I listened to that interview today cuz when you brought it up cuz I I'm really interested because I I just think that this the main faults of this movie I think are can be ascribed to the fact that there were like two very powerful cooks in the kitchen and what I got out of that interview is that they sort of deferred to each other in ways that they probably shouldn't have. Uh, In my opinion, I think it could have been a lot punchier, and I don't see why... I mean, saying nothing to actually, like, whether she could have done this, but, like, I just think it should have been, like, all Amy Schumer to make it it work. Or else, if you want to say, like, it should have been Apatow's movie, like, then you've got to pull way back. But it was somewhere in the middle with, like, two very like powerful people trying to exert a style onto it and together they did not work i don't think see i feel like you have the framing of an apatow movie like it's clearly the same like visual style of an apatow Mm -hmm. movie but i feel like even from that interview terry was just like hey judd why did you decide to do x y or z and judd's like amy you're great i trust you you could do whatever you want yeah and Like, he didn't actually answer any questions about the production of this movie, which makes me believe, going back to my earlier point, that this feels like this was Amy Schumer, like, with the backing of some big names. But Mm -hmm. I got the sense that, like, just seeing her, like, skit style, it just feels like she directed a lot of this. And it feels like she, like, put it all together and she lacked, like, someone like Judd Apatow in his earlier work who's sort of good at like figuring out how to like navigate the the more banal stuff in life hmm it's weird to me that i think that amy schumer is kind of taken out of the last third like there's a weird sort of perspective shift to bill Hader spending a lot of time with amari stoudemire in a hospital bed um and but i think if it wants to showcase more of her with Brie Larson, who I thought actually performed really like admirably and well in this movie. She's not no. in a lot of comedies. I thought she was great. No. I thought she was great. Uh, I'm going to stand here, and I'm going to seem like unhappy, but I'm going to smile. No, she was great. I'm Brie Larson. Blah, I'm blah, in this blah. movie. Um, but if it if it wanted to like give you like a certain like a different look of her and show you that like she could play drama, then. I just think it got really caught between those two things and also the artifice of those two things. Like not only with the voiceover, but like 
it was very this is a movie that wanted to be aware of rom-com structure and sort of like was in like a few pigeonholed moments but otherwise just had a rom-com structure and was plenty happy to have that Um, well that's what i thought was so interesting about the movie is because and i mean from doing some reading and listening to amy schumer speak about it like it seems pretty autobiographical for sure and but it seems like she tried to take her autobiography and like punch up certain moments to give it the basic tropes of a romantic comedy when i think picking one of the other like would have been a better decision but i feel like the way she's done it now it's like sort of a weird indie movie at moments and then it's a very traditional romantic comedy and it's sort of hard to figure out like I don't know. I feel like it's it's hard to figure out on what scale to sort of judge it. Oh, I like Tom's sweater. Does he teach computer in a church basement? Don't get all threatened just because you don't understand the concept of marriage. You dress him like that so nobody else wants to have sex with him. That's cool. Hey. I mean, normally when when comedies are just bad, they're just bad because they're not funny. But there, was, I probably got a laugh out of this movie like every two or three minutes. Like to me, it was consistently funny throughout and i was think it? that yes i was getting i mean i was laughing at hater and schumer and colin quinn and Le, like Le, and uh what's that guy's name lebron something but i've rarely had the experience of like finding a movie so like funny like in like a tight increment throughout but then like stepping back and looking at the movie and being like that didn't work so right. but i never i never regretted being there and the theater really loved it See, that's so funny because my theater didn't like it. Really? And, well, let me ask you about your theater experience, but there's that scene where I think it's the first time that Amy Schumer is meeting Bill Hader in his office. Yeah. And oh, to set up the interview for when they ha- we'll talk later. <laughs> right. But they have this moment where he asks if she has any black friends and she ultimately comes to this photo on her phone of a, like a black person like pouring water with her and another friend like at a table and like the black guy's the waiter. Yeah, that was pretty troubling. And like there was a like an audible groan in my theater. Like people, like you could hear like people's legs like going from one side to the other. Like it was really yeah. bad. But like there were definitely like moments in this movie that uh, were at black people's expense in like this way where Amy Schumer's writing was just like, oh, I'm aware of how white people work, but like I don't care to do anything about it or like make jokes that don't alienate black people. That was right. an issue for sure. I don't know. Well, that's my big question about this movie and maybe these categories in this category of movies in general. Every scene she has like with another woman basically revolves around something about her love life. And isn't the whole point of like the Bechdel test to be like, this is not oh, totally. how you're supposed to portray women because that's not how it works. But then like every scene she has with the other woman from Saturday Night Live is about a Vanessa man. Bear. Vanessa Bear. And then the scenes with Tilda Swinton is all her being like picked on for basically being a woman. Yeah. So I understand that like all these movies attempt to show – I mean, I think that's a big trope of these movies is to, like, say something about how women are, are portrayed mm-hmm. in movies in, like, that sort of meta question. But at the same time, like, I don't know that this one in particular, 
like, like does it? I, I don't I, empowers anyone. I don't know. But I think like, well, that's part of like the breakout movie thing is that not only are you like putting this movie in a, putting this person in the starring role in this movie, but you're also, I mean, she wrote the motherfucker. So like <laughs> she had, like it's her brand of comedy. Like not only are you introducing her, but you're introducing her brand of comedy to the mainstream. Right. Yeah. Sort so of, I, but I, oh, go, you go ahead. Go ahead. But I feel like that's an important thing to sort of look at for this one in whether you think it's a success or a failure, entertaining or not, is not only are we being shown Amy Schumer on, like, the big screen for the first time, we're also being exposed to, like, can Amy Schumer's comedy withstand more than three and a half minutes? Before you judge, you should know I'm doing fine. My friends are awesome, my apartment's sick, and I have a great job at a men's magazine. I like you, Amy. You're clever, but you're not too brainy. You're pretty-ish, and you're not gorgeous. You're approachable. Thank you. Yeah. What do you rate this movie, Chance? It's bad good for me, because it's a wreck, but I enjoyed, like, it as a comedy. I'm going to say it's good bad for me. Really? Wow, we are really not on the same page at all. Because, like, I feel like deep down it's, like, an important movie. I just haven't realized it yet. But as far as watchability goes, I did not enjoy it. What do you mean it's an important movie and you haven't realized it? Like, I feel like we'll look back and be like, oh, yeah, that was Amy Schumer's first movie. Like, yeah, everybody saw that shit. Like, that movie is, like, doing crazy box office numbers right now. Like, it's going to be an important comedy once we look back. So for that, I will give it. And it does some interesting things. And, like, the reasons I didn't like it were probably because I saw it, like, at 1 o'clock in the morning. But... (laughs) I thought the characters were pretty two-dimensional. Let's hopefully move on to one where we have more common ground, even if it's, like, really negative, like, sunken into a canyon common ground. Can we do Baby Mama, or do you want to do Picture Perfect? I would like to do Baby Mama. Okay, that's the one I was talking about with the negative ground. Uh, This is the 2008 uh, movie starring Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. It was written and directed by Michael McCullers, who you might know from writing on SNL, and he also had writing credits on several of the Austin Powers movies. Um, I, and to kind of put it in context, this is Tina Fey right after she has left SNL, and I think 30 Rock is sort of in its second or third season. And this right. is Amy Poehler a few years before she leaves SNL, and Parks and Rec has not started yet. So if we're talking about it, which I assume we it's are... It's Tina Fey, at, I think, is the, yeah, the break yeah, guy yeah. here. Yeah. Um, it was her you, first like major starring role, too. Like She had a little bit part in Mean Girls, which she wrote. Yes. But this was her first like major movie where she was the protagonist. Mm-hmm. The synopsis of this movie is that Tina Fey has a successful job, uh, but she can't seem to have a relationship, so she just wants to have a baby, and she goes through, like, adoption stuff in this really, like, traumatic uh, montage sequence where, like, people are just shaking their heads, no, you can't have a baby, Tina Fey, and she ends up at this, like, weird clinic-slash-law firm run by Sigourney (laughs) Weaver... And she offers this service where she hooks, for $100,000, she hooks rich people up with, like, you know, veritable mentally handicapped people who are willing to, like, hold their children until they're of an age where they can pop out of them. Mm. This movie, 
is about as good an SNL movie as uh, the night or a night at the Roxbury. I would say. I was gonna say Beverly Hills Ninja, but I think oh, come we're, on. Ta- we're talking Hills- the same language there. Okay, this movie is like. <sighs> It's tough to say. Did this dude like write the movie and direct it as well? I feel like I read that. Yes, he did. And it was it's so strange to me that Tina Fey yeah. would not have a writing credit on her like supposedly breakout movie. Right. Yeah. Which is a major problem. I mean, I feel like maybe Amy Poehler and Tina Fey like get in line by the end of the movie, but like in the beginning of the movie, they're like really uncomfortable on screen. Let me let me start here. I think that if you put these two in a movie together, and I think this is interesting because that movie Sisters, where they are sisters, is coming out later this year. Um, That movie looks like it's going to be awful. It does look like it's going to be awful, but it does at least position them where I, as a fan of both of their work, would want them to be positioned, which is like, where they are friends. I'm 37, and I want a baby. So I'm pursuing all my options. I met with an adoption attorney who was very encouraging. And I recently began the artificial insemination process. So with a little bit of luck, I could be pregnant right now. To me, when I look back on it, this movie had no hope because you basically put Amy Poehler in a role that, like, I don't know, like, Melissa McCarthy could play that role, but, like... Those two, like, should be vibing together and, like, having, like, banter and the fact that, like, in this movie, Tina Fey looks like someone who is, like, a little bit humorless and Amy Poehler is asked to play dumb and, I mean, where are you going to go from there? That's not Not going to work. Not only dumb, but, like, aren't Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, like, roughly the same age? Like, in Uh, real life? Yeah. Yeah, like, mid-late 30s. That part was clearly written for, like, a woman 15 years younger <laughs> it's really true. than Tina Fey. I mean, but, yeah, that's so what's so weird about it. Like, I mean, I can just say this now so we can get it out of the way. I think it's good that you pointed out, like, this is supposed to be a Tina Fey vehicle. Amy Poehler hadn't even really come into her own yet. Like, you want to talk about TV translating to film in terms of three-dimensionality for characters. Uh... Polar did that for probably at least four seasons of Parks and Rec as Leslie Nope. She's actually a much more versatile and deeper performer than Tina Fey is. And to kind of like chuck her right out of SNL uh, into this role, like in the emotional moments of the movie, like she almost kind of like broke this weird, like what, what, what would you even call it? Like what was the accent she was doing? Like backwoods New England or like... <laughs> I don't, well, she I don't was even supposed know. to be from, like, western Pennsylvania. The okay, movie there takes place in Philadelphia. The accent she was doing didn't make any sense. Right. Um, well, that's the thing about Amy Poehler is that, like, she does sort of this, like, high-strung suburban, like, mom-type character very well. Mm-hmm. But she, I just don't think in her, repert- uh, her repertoire has, like, someone raised in a coal mining town. No. <laughs> Yeah, she can play a person who's, like, obsessed with leadership and organization, but, like, and so it's just like, God, she's really playing down here for herself. But then I felt like the movie made up for the fact that Amy Poehler's bad and the script is garbage by literally casting everyone they could find to be in this movie. That's true. 
So you've got Sigourney Weaver, you've got Steve Martin, you've got literally (laughs) everyone who's been on SNL. Armisen and Will Forte. Oh my god. Uh, and Greg Kinnear is our uh, and then, Tina Fey love nowhere, interest. And nowhere, it's like we don't need another character in this movie. And suddenly <laughs> Greg Kinnear shows up, looking like pretty good, mind you, to be Tina Fey's love interest. He always looks great. I don't that, know. He that's, just... That sexy dad phase of his could last another 30 years and it wouldn't surprise me. Right, and then he can like slick it back and go all Will Patton on us. Sure. I would love that. <laughs> So, yeah, so the setup in the movie, too, is she has this job and she basically works at Whole Foods run by this Steve Martin is this, like, hippie weirdo. Steve Martin, I wrote down, literally, Steve Martin is a clown. I wrote that in my notes. (laughs) Keep in mind that I watched this movie while two 70-year-olds were screaming at each other over my lap. This was the one, huh? This was the one. I watched it on, Mm. on my computer. Um it's almost like excruciating how long it takes to like hit the beats you want it to hit too. Yeah. Like I wrote down not once, but twice. When is she going to fall for Kinnear? No, seriously. When is she going to fall for Kinnear? Yeah. When is, when are they going to do the, you've got mail thing with her as the corporate, uh, food chain owner and him as the, uh, him as like the lawyer who still, yeah, the smoothie salesman, but he used to be like a rich corporate lawyer. Yeah. I mean, another like, giveaway for like how the script of this movie didn't work there were like you know how every rom-com is gonna have one or two montages to like move us into a place where we can get our bearings this one had about six like in exchange for writing like it was people telling tina fey she couldn't have a baby like it was amy poehler faking being pregnant like it was bizarre I just don't like your uterus. Your chances of conceiving are very low. What she got... Our surrogate's fee is $100,000. It costs more to have someone born than to have someone killed. Takes longer. Was a baby mama. Who... I mean, and that leads me to a question, like, who is this movie even for? My theory I wrote that is, down, too, is who is, is, the, who is the, who's gonna watch this movie? It's like... Is it, like... 60-year-old suburban people or, like, maybe 12-year-olds. There was, like, the moment where, like, Tina Fey is trying to date Kinnear, but, like, she doesn't know if he'll approve of her using a surrogate mother or having a surrogate mother. And he's just like, well, hey, babe, you you don't have to be married to have a kid. And right then I was just like, who is this movie for? Like, who thinks that? Like, is that, are you trying to change the mind of someone who shops at the like evil corporate organic market that she's supposed to work at like right i don't know it's all just like featherweight stuff like making fun of people who are vegan and making fun of hippies yep and like none of the none of the peripheral things that like might hook you in some topical way would hook anyone at all right and that just doesn't work um chance yeah what was your favorite product placement in this movie? Was it the the 7-Eleven Big Gulp on the courtroom table for no reason? <laughs> but I feel like because it has a courtroom scene, it's just like these cliche scenes after one another. It's like, yeah. oh, here's a big moment, like a uh, like a baby shower where like shit's going to hit the fan and like, oh, here's the courtroom scene and like man so here's the thing. I'll I'll try to push us toward an end here, if you don't mind. Like Do I think, 
I really like Tina Fey. I'm a big fan of 30 Rock. I think she was great on Weekend Update. I think she was really good in like bit parts, uh, like on Mean Girls. She's not horrible in Date Night because she gets to play across from Carell, who's like much different than she is. But Uh-oh. are you going to make a bold claim that Tina Fey is not actually that funny? No, I do think she's really quite funny, but her comedy does not translate into the leading role of any sort of rom-com. Right. Her comedy is about sort of a virtuosic, relentless joke-to-joke writing that's aware of itself. Like, that's 30 Rock can be very meta at times, and right. like it's always aware of what it's doing. And for her to just sort of, like, step into a role where she, like... What are you saying, Chance, that's... You know how, and I'll try and segue us into Picture Perfect here, you know how there are moments in Picture Perfect and in like most Jennifer Aniston rom-com movies where it's just like, Jennifer Aniston really cares about this woman and she really cares about the emotions that this otherwise silly movie are kind of like targeting back toward this character. Like Tina Fey, she's just too smart and too like cynical, I think, to care and so like when the movie about asked this her to dumb romantic comedy cliche yeah and so when it asks her to play these like emotions that will only work um if you're like really willing to act like that's just not what she's gonna do and it's not even close to what her strengths as a comedian are god damn it chance way to say something profound there thanks man um so this movie rating wise you want to go first bad 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 indeed um and did it work as a vehicle not at all it was not a hit uh why well, i'm gonna make a bigger thesis later but mm-hmm. i think like these movies tend to be pretty accurate about where these actresses or comedians find their audience that's true for sure and i feel like for this one in particular and only time will tell with train wreck but I feel like for this one, I feel like, you know, based on just money alone, the American audience was just like, no, Tina, go back to t- TV where you belong. I mean, and the, like, it's this is so silly. I should have brought this up at the very beginning. But like, you're talking about two people who on Weekend Update played so smart, pop culture, topical, observing, like, like, like John Stewart-esque, like, fake yeah. news type things. And, like, no wonder an audience wouldn't be interested in, like, seeing them half-heartedly ham it up in a movie about, like, surrogate mothership. Like... Right. I mean, we could have just said that at the beginning and moved on, I guess. But, like, Christ. All but right. we didn't. Nope. And so last but certainly not least... Mm-hmm. Is 1997's Picture Perfect with Jennifer Aniston. Chance, you want to do the uh, the plot and I'll cut you off halfway? Sounds good. Meet Kate Mosley, a woman who gets a lot of attention. Okay, just give me the damn thing. <laughs> just not the kind she's looking for. <laughs> Jennifer Aniston is part of the, what, like creative team at an advertising agency in New York. And basically, she is very creative. We get to see her have success early on with this account. But she can't get to where she wants to be in the company because the higher-ups at the company don't approve of her sort of, like, post-college, like, low-commitment lifestyle. They really want her to have the house, the car, the husband, the kids. And so, in order to 
ascend within the company, she pretends to be engaged to this guy that she met coincidentally at a wedding some weekend before. And that guy is played by Jay Moore, but she's also trying to hook up with like the corporate bad boy who's Kevin Bacon. It's not really clear what his job is, um, but he's only he's interested. He's on his cell phone a lot, though. He's only interested in her when she's uh, doing the wrong thing, being, in his words, a bad girl. Um, and the, the, high, the hijinks, I guess I want to use that word a lot, the pretty traditional hijinks kind of ensue from there. This movie... It start it starts in such a like a strange way, like politically, I would say, because the opening scene begins with Jennifer Aniston kicking a guy out of her apartment. They're like making out, and I he forgot about that. She like puts the kibosh on them, like continuing to make out, and then ultimately have sex because the dude doesn't want to wear a condom, which is such a weird. But, like, interesting moment to, like, open this movie. and But it's so interesting because it tells you so much about her character. Like, she wants what she wants. And people yep. don't, like, push her around. And Don't it, they, though? <laughs> they, I mean, they kind of do in the broader sense. But, like, in the macro, I believe this movie thinks that... You know, these are just tests for young Jennifer. Yeah. It's actually sort of like the world that plays a little bit domineering and absurd and like makes it seem like she has a problem. Um, because like she's like perfectly fine, hardworking, creative, successful person. And right. the sort of like world of um, corporate judgmental. Well, she's literally playing Peggy Olson's role from Mad Men. There you go. Yes. She, but she's coming up since, with advertising <laughs> campaigns and getting no credit because but she's since a it's woman. the 90s, she gets to dress like a 13 year old and it like that's hilarious. <laughs> right. Oh, I like that. Um, one of the major supporting characters in this film was hats. <laughs> I thought you were saying someone's last name. <laughs> No, like like yeah. things you wear in your head, like dumb Happy 90s. Happy 1997, everyone. Women and men wearing, like, dumb hats. Yep. So I guess for a little more context, if we want to start here, uh, this is 97, so Friends was in its third season, I believe. It went until 04. Right. Um, how do you think, I'll ask you the question that I guess is my question then for all three of these movies, how well do you think this translates what people really admired and wanted to emulate about Rachel from friends to a movie screen. Interesting. Well, I mean, I wrote that down here. Like she's definitely in the same school of acting technique as Rachel. Very um, much. But I think this movie gives Rachel like more to do mm -hmm. th like thematically. So it's sort of interesting to see because I feel like with Friends, like you just the episode is just not long enough to take her to some pretty like weird and somewhat dark places. Yeah, like being in like a weird sort of fake romance or like leading a guy on and feeling really bad about it because you just don't have the time to build that shit up. Yeah. So, I think of the three movies we're talking about playing off your point. I think this one actually might do the best in terms of the translation. She, a la Rachel, 
is this person who's sort of like up to something and like trying to pull something over, but like not really get, but is always like a little out of her depth at the same right. time. But it's she's really kind of like lovable when it all blows up in her face, and she's just got a lot of heart to her. And I yeah. think, well, I think what she also has on her side is that this, yes, it is like a beat by beat procedural romantic comedy. But it's yeah. like a pretty good one. Like it yeah, takes the – like it, it, as far yeah. as how well it's written, like it's – it goes to some interesting places. And I would say that it's like within the tropes pretty wise about stuff. I mean sort of. But like this also felt to me like just a tale as old as time like – like Shakespearean misunderstanding movie. Like someone has to pretend to be like marrying a stranger. Like, you know, like I'm saying, it's not like breaking any new ground in a narrative sense, but like there were these little moments that I liked, you know, like I liked the fact that, you know, like when she's hanging out with Kevin Bacon, like what he wants to do is like, go watch tennis like that's such an interesting <laughs> yeah. like choice about like this is the kind of guy who's like so rich that like what he wants to do on a Saturday afternoon is like watch tennis like professional right. tennis live you know or the fact that like <clears throat> the idea of well also this movie is like horribly dated in like a lot of ways you come here and ask me this is the plan I will pay you a thousand dollars if you have dinner with me and some people that I work with hi you're here <laughs> it's good to see you <laughs> Kiss my neck and pull me into the office, okay? Yeah, yes, sir. <laughs> what is the world coming to? It also felt very... It felt old in a in a good Hollywood way, too, that, like, still appeals to me. Like, there were times when I felt it was closer to, like, a Mike Nichols sort of, like, working girl sort of right. movie yeah, than yeah. it is to, like, anything that is, like, coming out now. Like, it, it's what I would say about a lot of movies where it's just, like, beautiful people, like, having some fun and talking smart... I do wish, I will say though, that I don't really. There, I think for this movie to have leveled up, like the supporting cast would have had to come to Aniston's aid in a way that, like, I really don't think. Oh, the I thought everyone was given like a hundred percent to this movie. Well, I, the script didn't really allow them to come to her aid. I don't think. Like Kevin Bacon would have been like the case base character from Working Girl, but like he didn't have any sort of like. Real, I like, like Kevin Bacon was pretty entertaining in this movie. And I like the dad from uh, Small Soldiers playing like, like Ke- her boss. Kevin Dunn? Yeah. What really threw me off, though, I have to say, and like it was just how dated this movie is. I mean, I hate to keep going back to it. But like when she shows up, oh, and we'll get to this in a second because I like need to talk this out with you. Her black eye and the way people react to it. Right. It's super weird. But the best part about it is some like security guard sees her and goes, or some one of her coworkers sees her and goes, She looks like Petey from our gag. And I like completely didn't understand that reference at all. Did you look it up? It flew right over my head. It's the dog. It has like a dog like a like a circle around its eye. Oh my god. Oh, from Little Rascals? <laughs> right. But, like, at that point, it was branded as our gang, I guess. This movie has a terrific soundtrack, though. Oh, my God. Macy Gray. That well-placed Macy Gray. And there's even Amy Mann in this this soundtrack, which I thought was a pretty edgy choice. I didn't recognize the song, but I looked it up later, and it was Amy Mann. Nice. Well, I think the, the weird, like, 
in the way that the photo of the black waiter from Trainwreck kind of like gave me pause. There was a mm-hmm. moment where um, Jennifer Aniston walks into her office with a black eye, and like, I guess people think that she like went back to see her boyfriends. Yes, who they just had like a, a staged breakup in an earlier scene, and he hit her. And somehow it was her fault. I don't. I didn't quite get that. We should say that she actually got it because, like, right after she had the stage breakup, she went to hook up with Kevin Bacon. Oh, and he like, like accidentally elbowed her in the eye. Yeah, they were trying to get the locks and the door undone. And it was total accident. But yeah, they all think that like there's that scene with the boss where she like takes off her sunglasses and he like points at her and is yeah. like, "We don't want to see him again." But he said it in a way that was like. It's your choice not to see him again. You deserve that black eye. I don't want to see that ever again. Yes, I think that read is right. But like, I think he's that... basically telling her she's unprofessional, not that she's like in an unhealthy, abusive relationship. And, but I think that's also like what stops this movie from like working for me in a big way is that like if you want to talk about what's abusive, like it's her professional relationship with these people that abusive. The premise of the movie is that they won't give her a promotion she deserves because she's not financially desperate slash dependent enough on the company because she's not in over her head on a car lease or house mortgage or like having right. a baby to like to not go work for a competitor, which like is just like very inappropriate to articulate in like a in an office setting but but isn't it kind of true though like i mean even today like the idea of like that's why people like allow you to move up in your career is because like you're kind of like stuck i mean i don't think i think the way they articulate it is like particularly sexist in that like the men own things and like the women are married but like I think it's sort of an interesting thing to consider. Well, that brings me to like what I wanted to talk about in context of all three movies mm-hmm. was the idea that basically the premise or the the message you're supposed to get from all three of these movies is that human connection and humanity is better than occupation. Yes, very much. Of course. So, yeah, but first when you have the journalist who like barely works, but like that there's that crucial scene where she where Bill Hader's accepting that award and Amy Schumer like gets on the phone cuz she has to or else, you know. Yeah. But that like fucked them up. And Yeah, it's 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 an age-old like sort of rom-com trope that like all in some ways like they're and it's it's significant then of course that all of these leads are women that their ambition in uh, a business, economic, professional sense is holding them back from right. finding uh, love and, and being right. satisfied. And then Tina Fey, too, is basically just distracting herself with work. Yeah. And, of course, like while she's trying to do this, she's also trying, like in charge of you know, setting up this store. Yeah. But I'm sorry. So, w- so what was your – I mean, that's a great observation. Was there a question bouncing off that? Well, I just think that – that's weird that all of these movies within this genre also have that weird message you're supposed to take home with you. And, like, what does that say about these kinds of movies? Off the cuff, I think it says that they're probably not as progressive as they'd like to be. Well, that's um, what I'm, I mean, that's what I was getting at. Yeah, for sure, because it frames all these women who are working 
really hard, but they won't ever be happy until they embrace people on a personal level, which I mean is true. Like if you just work, like you won't be happy. Like you need to have friendships and relationships, but these movies all push back toward marriage, monogamy and pregnancy. Right. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like, is that, so like, are you, can we say that these movies are like, are they sexist weirdly or are they like anti-feminist weirdly because, you know, these women are allowed to star in these movies, but still the role is going to contain you either getting married or pregnant by the end. You could say they're anti-feminist, but I think what's worth pointing out is that. But if you, if you juxtapose picture perfect on top of train wreck. Yeah. It's not that dissimilar of a film. Right. Like, isn't that, isn't that bizarre that nearly <sighs> yeah, t- totally. 20 years later, like that's still the movie we're going to give you to break out your female star. That's really interesting. Trainwreck would like to think that it's way different, but it's not. It's not. You're, you're totally right. She has to like make a scene at the end, just like Jennifer Aniston does at the church. Well, she does it at the Knicks court and then they get yep. together at the end. Like that's the movie. Yeah. But Chance, what would you give Picture Perfect? Ooh, I think I'd give it like a soft, bad, good. You'd give it a soft, bad, good, meaning it's closer to bad, bad? Yes. I'm going to go ahead and give this movie a good, good. A good, good? Like a solid good, good. Like no waiver at all. Oh my god. Why? I thought this movie, I like... Think, I don't think you've said one. I don't think you've said enough to justify that rating yet. I just think this is a pretty... Like, yes, it operates within the tropes of the genre, but I happen to really like the genre. And mm. I think it does everything I want it to do. And, you know, they're just watching tennis, man. Like, that moment really hit me. Because that's... Oh, for God's sake. You know? And the references to people like Petey from Our Gang... <laughs> Don't give ironic ratings on this show. What are you doing? Right. Oh, and you know when Jennifer Aniston like has sex with Kevin Bacon and then she comes home and she's talking to her mother and she's she's like, Mom, we had sex the dirty kind. I got <laughs> like I got that. Like I'm like it it just like a wise line. It's like a wise you, line in a movie. What are you talking about? It's just like I connected with that. Like I understood what she meant right there. You connected with the dirty kind? Yeah, like, I get what that means. <laughs> but I definitely did not get the reference to PD for marketing. When will they go from here? When will they stop? I believe that fight has I think, does that bring us to the end? I think it, it possibly does. Chance. No. How do we how do we do? Let's self-evaluate real fast. I like Trainwreck. I'm glad we're staying so topical. Hey, we're recording this only four days after it came out. My god, it's almost like we have press screeners. Right. (laughs) But not yet. But not yet. Uh, Well, I feel like our demographic is like poor and lazy and fearful of crowds enough that they typically see it on the second weekend. (laughs) Anyway. I think you're spot on. So yeah, we're we're in our wheelhouse. We're right where we need to be. So this will come out like right when people leave the theaters in our key demo. There you go. 
for Chance, I'm Noah. This is Be Real Guys. Follow us on Twitter at Be Real Guys. Real is in film reel. Or send us an email at berealguys at gmail.com. Chance, this is such a pleasure as always. Thank you, buddy. Good to talk to you. Try to walk away and I stumble.